rather shame up or gare if you've let all the fans down. Can we not lock this? It's a fact. I am not playing mind games. I am talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladicci, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. The answer questions I have uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you! Disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Alright, welcome along to Team 33. I'm Raf Giallo. As always, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. That's at Team 33. We're also on Facebook and also on iTunes. And you can find also all these podcasts on the Off The Ball website and the News Talk website as well. Um, End of call is in studio with me. How are you, Raf? Joe Coffey's on the line. Raf, good to be here. Yeah, good stuff. Derek Ryan will be here in about five minutes as well. We're kicking off without him, as he uh, told us to. And also, we have somebody who we've had on many a time as well, Mick Cook. Welcome back. Great uh, to be here, Raf, yeah, again. We're almost here to a new League of Ireland season. Thank God, but, thank God. Yeah, but before we get to all of that, there's a few things we obviously wanted to touch on. You were in Dortmund, but before we get to that as well, there was a very important charity match that was taking place on Monday. We only streamed it out on the Off The Ball uh, <laughs> channels uh, today on Tuesday, and uh, it featured myself, Enda Call, who scored for the Colchis team against the Dubs. And uh, it was probably the greatest counter-attacking goal of the 21st century, I think. I would say Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be looking at that goal and thinking that that's exactly how he wants to set up his United team to <laughs> to, to play. Yeah, exactly. How, how, how did the ratings go, lads? The, the, I was having a half look at them on, on, online. Were you happy with your own ratings? Yes, well, mine's I, generous. Well, Darren Cleary did them, but he also he didn't put a byline on, him, on it, even though everyone knew it was him that did, did the ratings. And he gave me a seven, and... I'd be happy enough with a seven, only there were there were other players on the pitch that got a higher rating and didn't get a goal. And usually when you get a goal, it doesn't matter how bad bad you played, <laughs> you, definitely you get still get a higher rating. rating. <laughs> I'd agree with that. Yeah, I've tweeted uh, some compilations of my own stuff. So uh, my personal highlights, I got uh, a ball, blocked the ball with my nether regions, thanks to Mossy Quinn who tried to score, but was in the right place at the right time. Didn't hurt quite so much. And then a slow, very, very slow one-two. And that's not slow-mo that's actually been tweeted out. That's the actual thing with Kevin Kilbane. So uh, there are two things. Didn't really give the ball away, but also didn't get on the end of balls. I think there was one that Enda played through that should have been a 3-1. But it was almost better than the first counter-attack. Yeah, but my brain and my body don't work at the same speed anymore. Um, not since I was 12. Would you call it a comfortable 2-1, lad? Yeah, we were 2-0 up and then they got a consolation and then we were hanging on a little bit, which is the time I think Brian Kerr decided I was being hauled off. <laughs> I don't know if the two things had anything to do with each other. The tight conditions and the lightness of the ball really suited the dubs because, as 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 we all knew going into the game, the Colchies had the more technical gifted players, so we couldn't really get control of the ball because it was too tight to do so. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, well, Brian Kerr was a very fair manager. He gave me two runouts. He'd already seen me coming out in the first half and then let me come out for the second half again. Um, so that was all very, very nice. And of course, it was all for the Irish Heart Foundation as well. So uh, part of their Show Some Heart campaign as well. So it's all... Uh, all for a great cause um, too. Now, my role on that pitch was as a Ram Deuter, which is a German thing for space inspector. I think Thomas Muller is probably the only one that exists in modern football. Um, and speaking of Germany, Mick Cook, you were in Dortmund uh, last week and uh, it was. It seems to have been in- an interesting experience based on our chat outside. Well, it was very interesting and it was a, a great occasion for myself. I was there with my son Rory and, and my grandson Niall mm. and uh, fantastic ground. Fantastic atmosphere, but could not believe on my way to the ground 
the amount of people that were drinking and so happy. And the atmosphere was just amazing. And I was just saying to my son, I think there were stewards going around putting people out of the ground if you weren't drinking. <laughs> and the atmosphere, I, I just say, the home support behind the goal that we were facing, they obviously must go home shattered after a game because they sang for the guts of two and a half hours, drank. I said he must be in bed by seven if it's Saturday <laughs> evening. But the whole atmosphere and the, the mixing of the supporters as well amazed me with the amount of people that were at the game. Mm. But it was one it was a fantastic game. Obviously, Dortmund people were happy with the five-win victory. But what amazed me after the game, and then also watching uh, Match of the Day on German football, that both teams actually spent time on the pitch talking to one another after the game. How long are we talking? Um, like just five, ten minutes. Yeah. And the away team would go to their supporters and the home team would do their thing. And they would sort of meet up in the centre circle. Now, whether that's to, you know, calm things down after the game and if they see the players behaving responsibly, that might go to the crowd as well. Yeah. But it was just something that I've never seen before. Yeah, because in the League of Ireland, having covered games, I mean, they're out on the pitch for maybe a couple of minutes, shake hands, etc. And then everyone kind of heads off to the dressing rooms. I don't think I've ever really seen, not as long as that, not 5, 10, you know, whatever, 15 minutes. Yes, yeah, and like, it was, it was amazing to see it, but it was good. Like, it certainly, and before the game, uh, certainly the atmosphere and the songs they were singing, it was, mm. and I, I enjoyed even the match of the day on the German TV, although obviously I don't speak German, but you could pick up the atmosphere in each of the grounds. Yeah. Uh, same atmosphere drink at the grounds I don't know whether they let them drink so there's no trouble after they're too fu- they're too drunk to fight <laughs> I heard know? it's uh, I heard it's nothing but frankfurters and beer and the, the mile up to the, the Dortmund Stadium oh this is it like you could go to a game 10 stone and come home 11 <laughs> you know and all that seemed to be at the game was pretzels and uh, burgers and drink and but like it was an amazing atmosphere and obviously uh, I would like to be there certainly if Dortmund were getting beaten what the atmosphere would be like if there was so much drink being consumed. But like there was discos around, you know, in tented villages outside the ground after the game and there was no hurry certainly for the crowd to disperse from the area. Yeah. So they obviously from stuff like that, they must make a hell of a lot of money. Probably. Well, they have one of the biggest stadiums in Europe as well. And But although the only thing is the ticket prices are incredibly cheap. Like how much did you pay to, it was for the actual €35 ticket? Euro for our ticket. And we were behind the gold, high up. Yeah. Apparently, along the touchline, it's only fifty euro. Mm. So it was quite reasonable. Like when you think what the price is into in England in the Premiership yeah. in England. Yeah. You know. That's yeah. So, that's great value, particularly uh, while you're getting one of the best teams in Europe uh, playing again in one of the best leagues in Europe. Yes. Yeah. You kind of yeah. Because again, the ticket price thing has been something in GA now that's been talked about for getting into all Irelands and that. And then mm. you look at the situation in Germany where and having gaunt matches in Spain and things in Italy as well. It's really cheap. Uh, Joe, you've never done Dortmund, have you? Uh, no, Raph. Uh, my my trips to football stadiums abroad would be, we were, I went to a Barcelona match before and then I was at the infamous uh, abandoned Roma match which oh, was as well. Yeah, that one is, I think, better forgotten. We got 10 <laughs> minutes of action uh, before the yeah, game was called was off the first off. time in, like, I can't remember, a decade. Um, but yeah, uh, I, like I, I went to Barcelona game in the new Camp, and uh, I think they were playing Deportivo. It was top versus Deportivo were pretty pretty poor that season, and it was uh, it was pretty boring. I have to say, it was nice to see that it, the new Camp was great to see, and nice to see it full. But like, there's just there was an element of tourism about it, and um, you know, like the fact that the game wasn't close would mean that 
an awful lot of people were there, like myself, just for the day out. So that does probably take from the atmosphere a bit as well. But it was nice to see it. it was just, but like like everything, uh, um, a lot of this will depend on how good the match is as well in terms of how much you enjoy it. But it was it was great great experience to see the stadium, you know. Yeah, now turning topics now slightly because obviously, Mick, we wanted to chat to you a bit about the League of Ireland season that's coming up. We'll do that in a little while. But also, it's actually been a very, you know, a very choppy and changey time for Irish football as well. Um, based on our previous conversations, the fact the League of Ireland doesn't get highlighted as much within kind of FAI ranks was something. But now Stephen Kenny getting the under 21 gig and then getting the uh, the senior gig in two years time or 18 months pretty much. That's an interesting change, um, and I know we used to talk about like Sean Maguire not getting, um, you know, uh, call ups while he was at Cork City, and then suddenly, you know, he's getting picked up to play for Ireland once he moves to England. Before we get to that, now Enda was talking about Martin O'Neill a few weeks ago uh, and his view that it wasn't the uh, it wasn't a reign to be looked on ba- or looked back on um, in kind of in the fondest terms. For you, what did you make of that final year, that twenty eighteen? Very frustrating. Yeah. And but do you lay the blame at the management team, or is there were there kind of mitigating factors? Well, obviously, we hadn't got the best of. I won't say we had a better team down through the, the years previous, and certainly we hadn't got the top international players. And certainly, I just thought the disorganisation of the team for the last twelve months. It was as if, uh, well, Martin is the main man, but it was as if he didn't care. You know, and then you'd stuff coming out in the, on the press about the training sessions being poor, length of time they were together, and nothing coming out of the sessions. Like, it must have been very hard for the players if you're together for five days, which they are now, which I find incredible, um, to be together for five days and then come out and see a team so disorganised, and particularly the last home game against Denmark. Like, it was incredible how poor we were, and the decision-making on the night but I, I just think the whole last campaign was so disorganised. It wasn't mm. funny. Would you, now, it's obviously a wasted campaign in some ways, but would you have actually made a change prior to 2018, so off the back of the other, the qualifiers pre-Nations League? Well, you you would imagine on the back of the results that they could have said to Martin and his backroom staff with two or three games to go, we knew we weren't going to qualify. Like, it's time to go. But then to go and give him a contract for the next mm. term and then now let him go you know it, it's an incredible and no more than the appointment of Mick it's a funny setup. but, but I just thought the, the years under Martin oh great, we had some great days we, we beat Italy and uh, some other good results but overall I, I think the last couple of things have been poor you said you made the point before some of those great days were not quite as great maybe when you actually pick them apart and you look at certain like aspects like the Germany game for example for example yeah i mean there there are great results but when you look at the results based on them just being results that's that's when they become great days if you look at the performances individually they were it, we didn't play germany off the pitch like it wasn't as if we went out and it was a dominant Irish performance. It was backs to the walls for 80 minutes. We hoofed the ball up. <laughs> the champions. Sorry, Derek Ryan but is here. I, I, I'm not saying, ex- I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not saying I, I'm expecting Ireland to do that. But I think they played pro- like, again, they, did, I, I they didn't play well against Germany. Well, they did, insofar as they played a counter-attacking game and they won the game 1-0. And like, that's, that's the perfect job against the world champions, in, in my opinion. But anyway, we've had this conversation a few weeks ago. Yeah. Myself and then they came to blows. The studio a few weeks ago. But I, I I would agree with uh, what 
what Mick was saying there, that the disorganisation of the team was so evident come the final campaign that it was almost as if, fair enough, there was mitigating circumstances. We don't might not have the players that we once had, but it was as if that Martin O'Neill was setting this team up as if it was just some random bunch of players that didn't have a system and they didn't know what so to do on the field. You could argue there was an element of the way it finished for Mourinho at United in that <laughs> United just seemed so disorganised. And similarly with Ireland, it was the same thing, that it just seemed to be an inevitability about what was going to happen. Yeah, we, we ended with Cyrus Christie playing centre midfield and yeah. it made no sense. Well, certainly, but we had players like Matt Doherty who'd proved himself in the championship playing a very, very good Wolverhampton team. And the manager, I suppose, has proved now how good he is. And when you have Matt Doherty in a starting 11 every week and he can't get into a, a poor Irish team, like there's something just not right. And you would feel at maybe at team meetings, I don't know, if someone voiced their opinion, they just seem to be pushed aside. That they weren't part of the setup, and when you have an international team, and it was quite obvious, the set pieces were dreadful, mm. game after game after game, no idea, no imagination. When you saw Denmark on the couple of occasions that we played them, the variations of their set pieces, surely got someone would think a senior pro would say, "Here, we better do something different rather than just knocking the ball into the box all the time." Like. Incredible. And we were cut out by so many of them. Even Scotland in the previous thing from the corner in the Scottish match, we were cut out by that. There was imagination. We just don't see that. There was no time put into anything. It certainly didn't look it. And from what I've heard, like a week must have been like a month for these fellas to be stuck in situations like that. Just as a manager as well, you made the point, say Matt Doherty kind of was quite open and spoke to the media about certain things. Um, is that good to have in a squad or how do you deal with that, say, from a manager's point of view? Well, obviously, as a manager, you'd be, you'd be very disappointed if one of your players is having a go at you in the public domain and talking to the media about how good he is or whatever. Like, that, that should be a private discussion. And I'm not really in favour. OK, if was Matt Doherty was at the end of his career and he's finishing up, he might pass. But, like, for a young player, he did, he, he wasn't to know how long O'Neill was going to be in the job. I'm sure he's very happy he's gone. But, like, to come out and criticise a manager for not playing you, it's bad enough if you're getting the game and you criticise him, then he will leave you. But criticise him when you're not even getting the game. I don't think there's very ch- any chance that Martin was going to give him a game. Yeah, but if you were in Martin's shoes, then how would you have dealt with it? Just kind of have a quiet word yeah. and then still play him, though. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, certainly, you know, it's just the times I just felt when the media said he should be playing or he should be playing, Martin sort of said, "Here, I pick the team. I play here what I want." You know. Other times, managers might succumb to media pressure. But like it was obvious how good Matt Doherty was. And, Ma- and what people probably forget is Matt Doherty played on the left side for for Wolves for a long time. Yeah. So like he kept saying, oh, no, I, I have Seamus who's coming back and I have Serge Christie, like Matt Doherty. But why, why not play him on the left? A premiership player, you know, or play Matt Doherty wide right rather than Christie. Because that's the system he plays in the Wolves. Yeah, I think that was insult to injury on Matt Doherty's case, where when Martin played three at the back, he played Seamus as a a holding right back, and yeah. then he played Cyrus Christie as a wing back. As a wing back. When that's clearly Matt Doherty's strongest position. position. And there was Cyrus Christie playing for bottom side Fulham at the time. Mm. And being defensively quite poor as well, yeah. which is the other thing. I mean, he's game and, you know, I can't really fault him. He was put in a position he probably didn't ask to be put in as well. But uh, again, it goes back to kind of management issues as well. But um, 
after all that, obviously, um, we're kind of talking about things that happened in 2018, but straight towards the end of that year, obviously, Stephen Kenny then gets the under-21 gig after so much success with Dundalk. And after that as well, we're going to obviously see him become the Ireland senior manager. I was at his press conference last week as well. He obviously deals with the media very well as well. But were you surprised at that decision, especially coming from your own League of Ireland background as well, that the FAI were kind of looking at this kind of way of looking at things? Not surprised in the appointment, just surprised with the whole setup of it. Yeah. Like, I know Stephen probably wouldn't have left just to take the under-21 job. So, like, it, it, it just seems a bit like Brexit. Like, we're making decisions <laughs> and we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, what happens if Mick has a great Euros? You know, would Mick have taken this deal five years ago? where he knows after two years he's to be replaced. Would he taken this deal five, ten years ago? And to be paid such a wage and then to get money when he's leaving as well. I know it probably won't happen because Stephen is so methodical. What happens if he's to have a bad time with the 21s? Like, where do you go from there? Mm. Now, I think he's done very, very, very well bringing in Keith Andrews on his management team because Keith obviously... He's going to games every week. He knows probably lots of Irish players over there. Um, I don't know who's going to do the coaching for them now, or sorry, the scouting for them now, because they seem to have let everybody go in England. So Keith, I think, has been a very, very good appointment because everybody in England would know Keith from his appearances on Sky Sports and all that. But like, what young players, up-and-coming players, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds coming through in England now would know Stephen Kenny if they were in a Irish distraction, you know? Yeah. Um, but to say, and then he leaves, I think, with two games to go in the under-21 setup. So, like, if they're doing well at under-21 level, then the manager's leaving with two games to go. Like, will he, will he appoint an under-21 manager with four games to go to help Stephen? Because you would imagine that Andrews has some say, well, I would go for the 21s, then, Stephen, will you bring me with the senior team? Like, I, I can't see him working with Jim Crawford and Keith Andrews and then at the end of the two years saying, thanks, lads, that was great, particularly if you have a good campaign. The national thing would be bring them up with him. And then he just yeah. moves on. Yeah. You know, you would imagine he would have to bring somebody senior in from England, even with Keith and Jim Crawford. You think he would have to bring some senior uh, ex-manager who's been at... Premiership level mm. to give him to give him to help Stephen, but like it's a strange scenario. The whole lot, and you know, was was John Delaney trying to appease everybody by giving you know we we keep the League of Ireland people happy, we bring back Mick and we give Stephen the twenty ones job. You wonder did Mick even know much about the whole the, the two year thing because. There seemed to be quite a lot of confusion at the time that he'd been given a two-year contract and then he didn't, his camp didn't seem to know a whole lot about Stephen Kenny coming in. So you wonder, did he know this plan when he signed up to the two years, thinking it was just two years, but could be extended to four and six, depending on the campaign. And then he was kind of stuck with it maybe at the end that he'd accepted the two-year contract, so he couldn't really do anything about it, which also leads to a kind of a, maybe a distrust between Mick and the FAI then, if, if he if he wasn't told this plan in advance. We don't know, obviously, but if he wasn't told this plan in advance and then he's kind of this, this plan is dumped on him, where, like you say, he has a good campaign, a very good next two years, he gets nothing out of it. He leaves his job anyway. Well, and, and as you said, 
had he signed his two-year deal, and then all of a sudden the Stephen Kenny scenario was put to him. And I think it was that, like the, the way, well, the way the media. And I, what I find fascinating is, if you wanted Stephen to gain experience, all right, he, he has a uh, what's his name, Connor, as his as his first team coach. Why not bring in Stephen as his assistant manager to gain experience? And I, I don't think from listening to them that Stephen will have much say with the senior team at the moment and he won't be around them. But you would think if he's to build himself up over the... Like it's only 10 games or 12 games and a couple of training sessions. Like you would like to think that Stephen would be involved because we have a very young squad now and we've young players coming through. So I think it would be important for Stephen right, to be involved at senior level some way. There on the days, meeting the players, getting to know them. All right, he'd have no input, but at least the players would get to know him and what he's like as well. Joe, you were about to make a point there, I think. Yeah, I was just saying. I was just saying. Is that not what what had happened, really? That like um, uh, John Delaney basically was trying to keep everybody happy, and and because if he'd gone for Mick McCarthy, obviously straight off the bat, completely, there would have been people saying that. He should have gone for Stephen Kenny, and would Stephen Kenny hang around indefinitely? And then if he'd gone for Stephen Kenny, there there might be too much of an element of risk that if it all went wrong straight away, he'd be it'd be you know a lot of people would be started asking questions of John Delaney again. Like you were making the point, actually, Mick, that it was it seems to be, and it's kind of what Joe was touching on as well, the appeasement of sides from your own point of view. From pe- speaking to people within League of Ireland circles, um. Are they appeased? Are they quite happy with the situation? The fact that at least it's a nod towards the League of Ireland that Kenny's being um, kind of brought into the fold? I think there's a suspicion out there. Oh, really? You know, um, and two years down the road, if Mick McCarthy was to get us to the quarterfinals or, you know, wherever, we can't do it. Iceland did it a couple of years ago, so why can't we do it? And if we do well, like, would they come along and then pay off Stephen Kenny? Say, well, we're keeping Mick for another two years. Do you want to hang on for another two years with the 21s? But then Mick will go in another two years and we give you the job then. But it is written, it's written in a contract, so I imagine that there's no real sure, leeway there. We've all had contracts, you know. <laughs> fair point. <laughs> so yeah. with Mourinho, You've a contract. You've been in the management game. You know, so, yeah, so we've all, we've all had contracts. And they're not written, they're not worth the paper they're written. The clubs will just pay you off and that's it. But no, I think, you know, Brian Kerr came in and done a fantastic job. Like, 16s, 18s, he's done well in the other 20 World Cup, goes, manages the senior team, nearly qualifies, and they just discard him. There's a man that still should be involved in League of Ireland football at the highest level. Mm. I've said it for years, we bring in these foreign people. We're a unique country from a point of view of working here, getting to know the people, getting to know different places. We haven't got the best of facilities in the world. It must be... An eye opener to foreign people coming into this country, and we've a grasp of our own setup, and people appreciate appreciate our own people. And I think for Brian Kerr not to be involved in the game, there's something wrong. Yeah, he should be involved. He should be still technical director for what he achieved. Like we've had a barren time since he has left our underage football. All right, we've made finals, but we've we've got nowhere, really having challenged in semi-finals or finals and I think it's wrong for what he did for the game but like we all take different roads at different times and certainly 
I'm not in favour of a lot of the things the FAA are doing at the moment, uh, bringing League of Ireland football down to under 13 level, under 15, under 17. What did these players do in the gap years? Like, if you have a panel of, and I know I'm moving away slightly from the subject, but if you have a panel of 15 under 13s, how many of them are going to step up to be able to play under 15? So what did the other group of players under 13 go if Rovers or Shells having an under 14 team? Did he send you back to the club? So you have to babysit them for a year and then send them back to the League of Ireland club when they're under 15. And I think there's going to be a lot of teething problems with the setup. And I've said it for years and I said it at meetings with the FAI. I think the big mistake we have is that there's no reserve team football. And I think we lose lots of players at 19 years of age maybe to other sports. Because if you're 19 and you cannot play in the first team, where do you go? We did try, well, Shamrock Rovers did it, didn't they, with the Shamrock Rovers B team as well. So you're talking about having it within the league structure. So within the league structure. Yeah. Have a reserve team, the way there was every year. Like you take it, even in England, bringing in the underage structure. How many young players are breaking through in England? Well, not many. There was only an article there today in one of the newspapers or over the weekend where Chelsea have 40 young lads out on loan. Now, they're being, FIFA are bringing in an inquiry into them, then Manchester United, Arsenal. So, like, Chelsea will bring these kids in, train them to a certain age, and then sell them to lower league clubs. Like, they're not getting chances. And yeah. it's the same, like, you're playing for Chelsea. We already, I can't think of the chap's name now, wants to go to Bayern Munich. Uh, Hudson Odoi, yeah. Yeah. Like, he wants out. Because, like, no matter how good he is, Chelsea will spend 50 million to bring in a replacement for some other player who's been injured. Mm. And I, yeah. I think reserve team football, if you're 18, 19 years of age, you need to be playing with men. Right. You need to play. On, I even suggested if Le- League of Ireland clubs, say, got affiliated to the likes of Bluebell, some of these lesser senior league clubs where the level is quite high, I think a, a young boy of 19 would learn a lot more playing the lesser senior league setup than playing under-19 football. Because if you're playing under underage football all the way up, you're playing against the same people year in, year out, and like there's no threat to you. Yeah. But you, you step out of your comfort zone and you're under pressure. That's actually, actually you, you play Leinster Senior League, don't you? Or you have, anyway, yeah. Yeah, with Drumcondra. So in terms of that level, in terms of what you come up against? Well, just a, a point that Mick's making there... Um, like Pep Guardiola actually came out recently enough and said that he wants the reserve teams in England to be playing in the lower lower leagues in England. So the likes of Man City reserves would be playing League Two or League One football against men like Mix saying because when you are a young player when you're eight, 17, 18, the step up to senior level when you're playing against men is so dramatic that you don't actually, you don't realize it at that time and unless you're extremely gifted as a player, it's going to be very very tough for you to make that breakthrough. Say if you're if you're a centre back. Uh, or you're or you're a striker and you're going up against big men at centre half. It's it's a lot different playing seniors football to under underage football. So what Mick's saying actually does make sense. These these players should be able to co- drop down a level to say the likes of Cherry Orchard or Home Farm. Uh, I think a couple of them, Home Farm, as far as I know, are affiliated with Everton. But why aren't Home Farm affiliated with Bohemians who are just around the corner? To, so they they can send Bohemians, send them a nineteen year old if he's not good enough for the senior team at that stage, come back and play top level Leinster Senior League football because there are some clubs like uh, the likes of Crumlin FC who 
they're actually good enough to play at least second division league of Ireland, but they don't have the money or the structure to survive as a club. Yeah. So the standard is actually as good as say division the division two in the league of Ireland. So it would be good for the younger players to nurture them in that sort of environment until they're ready to play senior football. And from the Barcelona point of view as well, because um, certain countries obviously do do it. Germany have clubs in the stru- within the structure, like the reserve teams, like Bayern. You'll see Dortmund, etc. Barcelona, as Guardiola, you pointed out, um, the likes of Sergio Busquets, Pedro, these lads when they first came through, he had them in the B team first, so they were playing within a league structure against yeah. men. Obviously, did well and then came through to the first team, so it wasn't as big a step up. I guess that's the kind of idea you're looking at as well, but within just our um, our structure. Well, certainly. I was lucky enough to play for St. Pat's when I was 17. Mm. And I remember playing against Drawda and Rovers in Cork, Cork City at the time. And I can tell you, some of the hits I took in them first few games, like it was like I'd been hit by some of these American football players. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it certainly wakens you up because you have to grow up physically. And how do you grow up physically playing against your own age from 13 to 19? And as you said, some people might need another year playing at Leicester Senior League before they move up to the first team. And if if each each League of Ireland team was affiliated to a last senior team, and I, I'd say, yeah, whoever's doing very well, we're us at Bluebell, I think it's time now we could move on, go back training with Rovers, but maybe maybe still play with Bluebell. Train with Rovers first team, play with Bluebell. And then the manager Rovers would say, yeah, I think he's right to come back to us and give Bluebell some compensation for letting the lad play there. Yeah, that might be, there might be a financial issue, though, within, obviously... Uh, well, things are a little bit better now in terms of the financial structures. Well, the financial effort would be after no more than a child coming from Cherry Orchard Rovers to get compensation if he goes away. Yeah. But if the lad played for Bluebell and then he was lucky enough to... Like Brandon Mealy, if you, Ebby, or Ebi, I think he's playing with New Saints in Wales now, Dean Ebi. And like, they came back and played for Bluebell, then they went to Rovers and then went, you could compensate Bluebell that way, as well yeah. as the school by clubs they've played for. Yeah. Like, one thing that I was going to say there was... My club uh, in Donegal, when we were growing up, we were they they put an under nineteens team into the Ulster Senior League, and basically what they did was we brought the best players who between the age of seventeen and nineteen from a certain kilometer distance away from the club, brought them in and played them against Ulster Senior League men, and we struggled like we were talent under nineteen wise against the under nineteen teams we were putting it up to the best we were playing Derry City. And we were putting it up to their under-19s. But then when we were stepping up to Ulster Senior League football against proper men, the physicality and the, the speed of the game was just so much faster and so much stronger that that's where the step-up is needed. And sometimes younger players need that nurturing so that they can bulk themselves up, learn to move the ball faster, and actually have the physical strength to come up against professional athletes. Like You forget that a 17-year-old is still essentially a, a boy. They're still a child. And when they're coming up against 26, 27-year-olds who have been playing at a professional level for three or four years, the difference in the size, the speed and the strength is just something that you can't underestimate, really. Yeah, and just one's for Joe and Derek, actually, because obviously Arsenal and United fans here. Both of you, like, I mean, I remember Wenger when he had that young team, or United obviously had a lot of young players at certain points. The League Cup seemed to be the only place these lads would actually get a bit of game time. And I guess maybe, taken away from the Irish example for a moment, that would have actually been a benefit maybe to have some of these lads coming through the uh, the bottom kind of like league structures, whether it be kind of like a, you know, he start out in the national, whatever the national league or whatever it's called now, the old conference or wherever it is or even lower and then work your way up. 
suppose what I would take from it uh, when you're talking about the that, that whole thing, I mean, yeah, the League Cup was good. And sure, look, some clubs still use the League Cup for that kind of thing. Uh, and a lot of clubs use the FA Cup to use less tri players as well. The big problem is that, like, I mean, the, the, the English football just got incredibly rich in a short space of time. And, and like 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 uh, Mick was talking about, I mean, you have loads of clubs now that just have insane amounts of players sitting on their books. They're, you know, like, I mean, I, I, the, the, the proof is in squad numbers. I mean, if you look at some of the squad numbers coming on to the pitch on match day, you could be talking about players coming on that have a number of like 60 or 66, you know. I mean, it could be American football sometimes. And sometimes that's because the player has chosen that unique number. But other times, I mean, that's just their squad number. And uh, I, that's, 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 that's the big change now. I mean, I mean, like, the opportunities, um, the opportunities for for others aren't there. I mean, but, but then at the same time, nobody wants to have. Uh, nobody wants like it was well. I think it was it was the season when they talked about it. But nobody wants to have the Arsenal B team in, in playing in League Two or what have they. You know. Yeah. Just an interesting uh, point. Sorry, Joe. Just an interesting yeah. point. Actually, when we we're talking, Mick was talking there about. Um, you know, lads taking a while to kind of maybe progress to a level where they are able to compete with the the, the, the in the top team. Uh, I don't know if you read the Jesse Lingard Players Tribune there last week. Uh, he had one; and it was a really good one. But he was speaking about the fact that he was twenty two, twenty. He was told when he was sixteen by Ferguson, "You'd be twenty two, twenty three by the time you are in the first team." And that proved to be exactly true. When he made his debut for United, he was twenty two, and he said he went on loan to Leicester and. Sitting on the bench for Leicester, who were in the championship at that stage, was Lingard, Harry Kane, and Jamie Vardy. All three hadn't yet broken into the Leicester first team in the championship. And you see the three of them now. And the three of them started in the World Cup semi final, I think, against Belgium last summer. So obviously, it takes time for these kind of players to break through. If they weren't able to make it as 18, 19, 20 year olds for Leicester in the championship, and now suddenly, five years later, having been given that time and playing at the, low, at the lower level, being able to maybe you know, physically improve themselves and, and get stronger. They're obviously able to step up to the level where they are now, where obviously Harry Kane's one of the best strikers in the world and Jesse Lingard performing so well for United and Jimmy Vardy as well. So, you know, it's, it happens everywhere in the world that, that these the young players yeah. kind of take time to, to build themselves yeah. up physically. That's the same with the rest of the sports. Uh, Dyer, uh, Deli Ali and all these were with Swindon and Wickham. Yeah. So as soon as they came to 19, like they knew... Underage, that was no use to them. Or even twenty under twenty one football was no good. They needed to go out. They went to the lower leagues to 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 grow physically and mentally to be able to play against against men. And you see where sports are today. As you say the Leicester players. You know it's incredible. The German system is similar to something that Mexico kind of alluded to. Is they have centers all across Germany that are linked to the different clubs. So say, and all it would be for an Irish example it would be Ulster, Connacht, Munster, and Leinster, and there be, it would be like an emerging the emerging talent program in Ireland. Yeah, we've twelve centres. We, yeah, we have yeah. we have centres across Ireland, and it's kind of we're moving towards that. But the players who don't make it, the all the clubs are connected to the professional setups, and the players who don't make it into those professional setups at seventeen, they are uh, they play go back to their clubs, still play, but instead of just ca- casting them out and saying they're they're not good enough at at this stage, they still keep them within the emerging talent program, so they still get to train with the the lads who are have signed professional contracts at sixteen and seventeen, and one example of one of the late bloomers was Tony Cruz. Mm. He he wasn't good enough at at sixteen, and I think Muller was another one. Uh, 
and they didn't get their professional contract, but they didn't cast them out. They brought them back in and let them keep developing on the path that they were going, and they ended up being two World Cup winners. Yeah, because obviously players don't develop at the same age is the obvious uh, inference from that. Some people obviously are late bloomers, which is something we do see. Well, it happens all the time. Like, yeah. No matter what sport you're in, we all can't make it when we're 18 or all the older guys will be gone. You know, and like that, you, you need to, to nurture in, in the lower leagues to develop yourself in all sports. Yeah. You know? Just that Jesse Lingard Players Tribune, it's a really good read actually, but one of the things out of it was that he was 16 and he was playing underage, like I say, Ferguson told me, it'd be a few years before he made it into the first team. But at 16, all these other players in his team got professional contracts and he didn't. And that's something that would, could end your career, the disappointment of like all your mates getting professional contracts at, at the club and he didn't get one. And obviously, I, I wonder how many of those lads who got professional contracts at 16 are still playing still playing football, let alone playing at the at the highest level that obviously Jesse Lingard is. So, you know, for, for him, from his point of view, obviously it took him that six, seven years before he's able to break through. The impressive thing about that was that Ferguson at 16 was still able to tell him that he would be playing first team football for United at 22. Yeah. Well, I think that I think that's a recognition of talent that yeah. you, that, that you do recognise that some are late developers and like a, a good managers and good coaches would realise this. You know, some kids don't develop as quick as others, whether it be yeah. mentally or physically, and yeah, that's, like a, that's I, a sign I, of a good yeah. manager. Yeah, because like I think I, like Rooney played and 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 uh, and um, Rooney and what's McCollum for Liverpool, Michael. No, no, no. Uh, midfield for Liverpool. Uh, James Milner. Uh, Rooney and Milner both started playing at 16. And I think a lot of that has got to do with their physical presence. Yes, I agree there. Like, as, as we say, people differ, Joel. Uh, so some are they mature quicker physically. So they're well able to step up that bit earlier. But the likes of Lingard, who probably was a slight build uh, as a boy growing up, but Ferguson saw down the road... It's going to take him years to develop his uh, natural physical strength. Yeah, because Kevin Cavan's made that point before um, a few times. I think uh, when he first came, when Rooney first came through, because Kevin would have been at Everton at the time. He uh, Rooney was pretty much built like a man, I, like not in terms of height, but just in terms of his build. He was well able to cope with whatever was there on the training ground in terms of the senior lads, and then also playing um, in senior games, and then obviously hit the ground running pretty much, uh, pretty much straight away. Which is, I think is the example you're kind of. Mm. T- I think that's the one you're talking about, Joe, isn't it? Yeah, basically, yeah, that's it, Raf. I think that kind of comes back to something Mick was saying earlier as well with the underage setup of 13s, 15s, 17s, 19s now instead of what it used to be was under 12s and under under 14s, under 16s and under 18s. I think the the golfing class, like sometimes you you get a, a 14-year-old who looks like a 17-year-old and they're going up against they're they're going up against a 14-year-old who looks like a a 12-year-old. So the 13, 15, 17 and 19, I think the jump in the levels of development physically is a lot different to what it was that when we would have been underage at under 12s. Under 12s, most 10 and 11 and 12 year olds are around the same size. Yeah, more or less. Depending, yeah. they're never that much bigger, but you can get a 13 year old who's about two years further developed than an 11 year old now, yeah. who's still able to play under 13s yeah. if you get what I'm saying. I, th- I think I think I think though that there's there's less patience as well for uh, new players coming in. I mean, into say like they have to go out to lower league clubs in many ways because you like you can't have like fans just won't accept in a in a big Premier League club. Fans just won't expect accept a seventeen or eighteen year old who isn't cutting it after three games. 
I mean, there is this expectation, it would appear these days, that, you know, you need to you need to slot into the team seamlessly and be having stormers of games, like, immediately. There is no... I, I think that the, the expectations have shot up in comparison to what they used to be, where, you know, a player could come into a team and actually be given time to grow and develop. Now it's that you, you have to hit the ground running all the time. Yeah, and actually just taking it back to the League of Ireland a little bit, Mick, actually... Um with Kenny coming in, obviously he'll have seen some of these young players coming through. Are you going to? Are you quite encouraged that we're going to see a, a change in attitude at least in terms of what we would have gone back to the Sean Maguire example, somebody shining within the league and then maybe not getting a call up until England or somewhere else comes calling? Do you feel that's going to change with at least Kenny's influence, or is it quite difficult just in him being in that one role to try and change some of that? No, I think so. And as I said, I was away last week, but I believe he's already after naming. The home base squad. I was at the press conference, yeah, so it's just the, the home training base camp. Yeah. So the, the, that's a start right away to encourage young players, even to stay at home rather than go away. Mm. You know, and we, we had this conversation many times before, particularly with the likes of Shani Maguire, and then you've uh, Bork at Rovers. You know, he goes away, comes home. Now, I know there was media pressure yeah. on Martin O'Neill to bring him into the international team. But like when he goes away, as we said before, irrespective of who you signed for in England, he just seemed to be called up. And uh, it used to annoy me greatly. And Martin was great at naming 32 and 33 and 34-man squads. I, I think there were a few 38s as well. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I thought it was an American team he was bringing away, uh, defensive <laughs> and offensive. And but special like, teams as well like, to throw in there. But, but I think, uh, you, you cannot tell me that there's people in the lower leagues or the leagues in Scotland that are better players than they were playing in the League of Ireland. And the problem with League of Ireland, I think what puts a lot of people off, when they come to watch a League of Ireland game, the facilities are so poor that it actually makes the product look poor. Mm, yeah. You know, and when you think of the good players that we've had here, the national squad is made up of lots of ex-League of Ireland players. And I say, if you put Rovers or playing Cork or Dundalk playing somebody, even in Tranmere's ground, Chesterfield's bottom of the, of the conference, look, David Grant put any League of Ireland ground to shame. You know, and it's the facilities when you bring scouts over from England and you bring them to Richmond Park or to Belfield or, you know, it doesn't add to the product that we have got. I actually think the facilities take away from the product because some of the games are so, so good. The cup final, excellent. What in front of 30,000 people at Lansdowne Road would be as good as any game in the championship. To me, the middle of the championship, like to me, Dundalk, with a few extra players or Cork, I think would certainly survive in the championship. Or certainly they'd be challenging for Division 1 anyway. So yet you have players over there getting into international. Like did Martin not realise, I think last year, there was only two part-time teams. The rest of them are full-time. So like what different, what, what different training is Swindon Town or Bristol City doing? that Dundalk don't do Bristol City and Swindon and all these clubs have never played in Europe our clubs have got to the group stages Rovers a couple of years ago Dundalk a couple of years ago so what experience have these players got you know it's at least give them a chance I guess is the point bring them training yeah bring them into the like if you can bring 40 38 people in training sure to God if people say yeah he's a good player from Cork he's a good player from Limerick bring him into the squad for a week's training It, it does no harm He's yeah. with the group, and then you'll you'll assess you'll ascertain very quickly how good they are. 
with these English fellas. Mm. And maybe just to finish off as well, as we're coming towards the end now, there is a 2019 League of Ireland season that's kicking off in February and uh, lots of change as well. Obviously with Stephen Kenny gone from Dundalk, um, Vinnie Perth coming in as manager and then other changes are across the league. Some managers gone, obviously new signings. Pats have made a lot of signings. Uh, we've seen the likes, likes of Jack Byrne coming back to Shamrock Rovers as well. Um, at the top end of the table, how are you looking at things at the moment? Or are you, Do you think maybe... Stephen Kenny was that influential at Dundalk that maybe there is going to be some sort of um, drop off in terms of level. Well, certainly the, the players that I know that are in Dundalk, certainly they're strong professionals. Have been there a long time. Have won a lot of trophies. Um, you would imagine over the years they have a lot of say as well in in the squad. Like Vinny, Vinny will be his own man. Like everybody, I think that's a number two wants to be a number one. But the big thing in that role is the dealings you have to do outside of the 90 minutes of a Friday. And I found that when I was assistant manager at Shamrock Rovers during the week when we trained, training was over, I just said, bye-bye, Damien, I'm off. Mm. But then Damien could ring me at half 11 at night or wherever. This fellow was in not getting the game. That fellow was in not getting the game. We have to do this travelling. Like, it's a whole different ball game when you're manager rather than being first-team coach. You're finishing the training ground. And then, as a first-team coach or assistant manager, you have different conversations with players. Players are coming to you saying, what's the story? Can you have a word with the gaffer to get me in? Where you might have the conversation with the gaffer himself. So, like, it's a whole different ballgame when the responsibility of that 11, of a Friday, Saturday or Sunday, you pick. Because you must remember, come Friday or whatever day you're playing, there's only 11 happy players. Yeah. There's seven unhappy because they're on the bench and then there's three or four very, very unhappy because they're sitting in the stand. So like, um, I don't know what role Vinny played in that with Stephen. So, um, you know, it will be a, a new ball game to him. Yeah, so it's, obviously the relationships change as you're kind of pointing out. There must be a kind of pressure though being an assistant manager though at the same time given, you know, people are coming to you and expecting you maybe to be the one that's uh, trying to, you know, bend the manager's ear or whatever it is. Oh, there is. And like, when you take it like Stephen and Vinny have been very, very successful from back at their Longford days, not yeah. like, like Stephen and, Stephen and Vinny have lasted longer than a lot of marriages, you know, <laughs> so the, the marriage is broken up. So like, even how is Stephen going to feel with Vinny not being with him with the under 21 setup? He used to get used to uh, Jim Crawford now and and um, Keith Andrews Keith, Keith Andrews, Andrews yes. right yeah. just escaped me there for a minute yeah. so it's a, it's a whole different ball game. But, but I think the strength of that dressing room will help Vinny mm. true because like the players they've lost probably weren't getting regular game time anyway although very interesting to see at the weekend Dylan Connolly playing for Wimbledon and half a, half a good it was only his first start and thought he had quite a good game you know and so he's gone from Dundalk straight into a first team in the fourth division. You know, uh, amazing. Uh, Cork City obviously were had a disappointing season last year considering they were the defending champions. They never really pushed Dundalk last season. Uh, obviously lost Sadlier as well uh, over the last couple of months. Where do you see them this season? Because with if Dundalk do have that drop-off that many people are expecting with Stephen Kenny gone, you would think that maybe Cork would be able to take advantage of that. But do you think that they are in, at that position to be able to, to press I on? They, I think they will. Like John, John is no fool. And like he would, he would realise last year, you must remember the previous year, what did they go, 23 games unbeaten at the start of the season? Mm-hmm. A massive start, like nobody could catch them. But I think John 
will have learned from last year. You know, and I think he has cut down the squad size considerably because I, th- I think on the back of the success he had the previous year, he felt if I can bring in three or four or five more players. And I think his squad was just a bit too big. I don't think he really got to grips with what his best 11 was. You know, he chopped and changed where the previous year he would only make the odd change. He had the basic, we say, nine players that would start every week or eight players and he was only fiddling around with three. But I thought last year he was making dramatic changes for a lot of the games. So you think they're ready to step up? Would you see them as the favourites for the title next season? No, I'd see Dundalk 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 still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you would hope other teams will come into the equation. I'm sure... I'm sure Declan, Divine up and Derry will regenerate the enthusiasm that Derry have lost the last few years. You know, the local boy going back in, Paddy McCourt going into the setup as well, uh, bringing back lots of Derry players back, McNamee and all that going back. That will give Derry, I think, a huge impetus. And then also playing on the Astro Turf up there, which is a great, to me, it's a great advantage. Dundalk playing it, now Derry are playing it. I think that's a fantastic advantage to have that because you're training on it. Plus, you're playing on it. Raf mentioned Pats as well, a new manager, obviously, and there's a lot of excitement around Pats at the moment. A couple of new players as well, obviously. Especially Chris Forrester coming Chris back. Chris Forrester, well, obviously, yeah. the big one. Well, I think, I, I think that's a big one. And in fairness to Hurry, he, he has brought in some experienced players. Mm. You know, I think Pats just went dead for a couple of seasons, and I don't think Liam changed the team enough, or the players that left the, the same quality didn't come in. You know, and I, I I think it just went a bit stale there. Maybe he sta- maybe he stayed a bit too long. You know, Liam Buckley stayed a bit too long, which can happen. And then obviously, if you're there and you're successful, and you're trying to replicate that every year, but then your budget is smaller, it's very hard to replicate something if your budget has been cut every year. You know, so no, hopefully now I think they've gone back to a full time scenario. Pat's now and Hardy has brought in some exciting players. Yeah, and uh, Shamrock Rovers obviously is one of the big, uh, big names in the division as well. At that, in the uh, the Premier Division, um, they had a young team. They have had a young team now for the last wee while, and obviously Stephen Bradley as well. Perhaps came under a bit of pressure at times uh, last season as well. Do you think they'll push a little bit? They've o- they've always been generally in and around that kind of fourth in the last few years as well. But whether they can make that step up and catch uh, the two leading clubs. Well, he hasn't brought in you know, Jack Bourne and Aaron McIniff. Um, you know, I I just think last year, I went to lots of Rovers games. Yeah. And it must have been very frustrating for Stephen because week to week, you didn't know what you were going to get. Like some weeks, they were so good. Like it was a joy to watch. And then two weeks later, our home game. It was just dismal. And they had that big dip as well, which is around, was that March or April last year where yeah. they didn't win for eight games yeah. or something crazy. You know, and if, if you want to win the league, you can't be going eight weeks without winning a game. Yeah. But like, I, I, like that again, not more than John Caulfield, I thought Stephen struggled last year to identify his best 11. Now, this is what, his third season. So you would think now here, you know, start out my first year, we achieved so much. Who do I need in? Second year, you would think this year he definitely needs, you know, to finish third minimum. Yeah. And to challenge, do you think, for the title? Oh, I think he has to. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying he might go the full the full distance. Yeah. But you would you would expect Rovers to be there up to, you know, five games to go, six games. Like with the last phase of games, you would expect Rovers to be still there. Because that seemed to be the big disappointment last season because 
their 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 title race was over by like I say April or May when it, whenever that eight game dip uh, happened it was so early in the season their yeah. title race was over at that stage and that was the big thing that they didn't have a title race yeah and and this is what I I think should be expected this year say they come into the last nine games of the season the final furlong that you would have the likes of obviously Cork Dundalk Rovers and Derry now when you get to that stage of the season it becomes different that's when you have to win. Yeah, and that's kind of players massive pressure in Shamrock Rovers biggest club in the country still to me they're the biggest name you go anywhere in the world you talk League of Ireland first thing to say is Shamrock Rovers and I think this is that this is the next expectation of Shamrock Rovers if they're there with eight or nine or seven games to go how will they cope with that pressure they haven't had that pressure in the last couple of seasons Stephen hasn't had that so like if he does get to this situation how will he cope then yeah, and uh, in terms of the bottom half of the table, who are you kind of expecting to be in and around that? And uh, also Sligo Rovers, just as someone from the northwest as well, I'd take a little <laughs> bit of interest in how they're doing. But uh, and especially with Liam Buckley going in there and a lot of changes and him bringing in players he wants as well. There's, it's an interesting part of the table. Well, I certainly think, as I said earlier, Liam probably stayed. Excuse me, a season or two, too long, maybe too yeah. long at Pats. And hopefully this will, you know, this will give him the impetus now to get, you know, get his mojo back and he's in a whole new scenario. He's out of the Dublin sort of scenario of derbies every second or third week. He's out there now on his own and I think certainly he will rejuvenate Sligo. Yeah. You know, the, and I think the crowd will get behind him. Yeah. You know, last year was a poor year for Sligo actually and I, I thought the appointment was wrong. Um, Northern Ireland football and us completely different. I think the manager little brought in too many players below our standard. Mm. You know the standard. I think is far better down south than it is up north. I think he brought in too many players yeah. from the north. And you know uh, it's amazing up there. You come from the north to Sligo. The amount of travelling you've done in Sligo, where I say in the north, was someone telling me no matter where you are. Obviously, if you're at home, you're at home in a few minutes. But the furthest away games an hour and a half. So you can imagine Sligo come to Dublin every other week, then down to Limerick, Cork. You know, it's a big change for, for fellas like that as well. They like the overall package of it. If you get used to the travelling and yeah. what, what goes with it. And you yeah. were managing obviously back in the past uh, the likes of Drada United and Monaghan United and it's outside the Dublin sphere. Um, how did you find that in general in, ca- in comparison to say if you were working um, within the Dublin kind of clubs? Well, I, I, felt, I, I felt certainly managing Monaghan which I did, oh God, whenever, the mid-90s. When uh, I was a child. I yeah. <laughs> I was only a child myself. <laughs> but if if a player signed for me, and lots of very, very, very good players signed for me, you knew they wanted to play for you. Yeah. Like, like Monaghan were in the, in, the, in the first division at the time, and yet when I look back, I saw I had Gabriel Sava, Brian Gartland, Alan Bourne, Dom Tierney, like fellas like uh, Shane Grimes, like at one stage, I think it about four or five players in Stephen's squad when they were young players, but they wanted this. This is what the, the, the topic we were talking about earlier: Alan Bourne, Shane Grimes, all these fellas. Um, you know, were on Shelburne reserve team or Dundalk reserve team, but they needed to step up to play first team football, and they were happy to come to the first division. And certainly, they grew up there as men and. He went on to have great careers and Brian Brian Gartland now has had a great few years at Dundalk and all that. But they need first team football at a young age. 
Yeah. You know, but no, I, I think that was my struggle. I just see the players he's brought in. A lot of players from England are probably young lads coming back. He's lost a lot of experienced players. Mm. So, you know, Daily might be in a big pitch and all that. And, you know, Bowes expect things up there as well. So they, they, they could have a tough year. Yeah. And uh, in terms of pushing for promotion then um, from the first division, who are you looking at there? Because obviously now it's split into 10 and 10. Well, Shelburne, obviously the players they, they brought in, you're bringing in Kilduff, Colin Bourne, Ryan Brennan. Like they're, they're very, very experienced Premiership players. Yeah. So on the back of that, you would have to say Shelburne are out now favourites to get promoted. And UCD, any, I mean, do you see them having an issue coming back then in terms of yeah, relegation? I, I think they'll struggle. You know, it, it, it's a big change. And uh, Collie has done a fantastic yeah. job, fantastic job. But now it's a, it's a different ball game for them. We're all these Dublin derbies. You know, they've such a young team and they've probably lost one or two of their better players, which they have done to other clubs, obviously, where money comes into it. Uh, I think UCD could struggle as well, you know, as well as they've done in the previous years in the Premiership. They always just seem to go back down. Who do you see being the the, the, the teams that'll go back down or that'll, that'll stro- really struggle in the Premier Division? I think um, UCD. Yeah. Uh, Bohemians could struggle. Finn Harris might struggle. You were, know. You, were you surprised by Bowes last season? Because I think a lot of people nearly tipped them to go down last season and they had a pretty decent year. No, they, Keith had a decent squad in the fairness. Very, very well organised. You know, and um, I think a big boost to them was the victories over Shamrock Rovers. Yeah. Uh, 20, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and that would give me good impetus for the following couple of weeks. And uh, like that again, he, he would have a good couple of results and then he would go through a bad run of four or five games without winning. And uh, But no, we... Uh, Keith, Keith done a very, very good job last year. Were you surprised that he wasn't linked with maybe the Dundalk job? Because he's, he's done a decent job at Bowes. Do you get me? Did, 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 are you surprised he hasn't been kind of linked with maybe a, a, a bigger job outside of Bowes? Well, there's no jobs available. The, well, only the, job, the Dundalk one, yeah. for example. Like, well, that was always going to be Vinny's, I think. Yeah. You know, and it was just a matter of getting around. Sorting because, it out. Because Vinny hadn't got the, the pro licence uh, to sort that out. And, like, they've, they've overcome that. You know, a yeah. Norris answer to a Norris, yeah. a Norris solution to a Norris <laughs> problem. But uh, no, I, I think it will certainly be, will be that Dundalk, Cork, Rovers and Derry. All right. Well, we'll see how that uh, that pans out in 2019. Uh, your predictions are going to be way more accurate than anything <laughs> I ever do. Or Joe, I think we've had we've a bad history bar the World Cup, which was actually yours, not mine. <laughs> what you say? Uh, in terms of predictions on this show, our record oh. has... We used to do a prediction slot, slot on a Friday, which disappeared well, after I, I think, we predicted Leicester would go down the year they won it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think the prediction slot was never our most... Uh, never our finest hour. No, no. And hence <laughs> I, why I we still don't do it. Sorry, Raph. I was just distracted. I I just saw your tweet where it showed the 10 seconds of highlights from the football match yesterday. Yeah, hi- highlights was the wrong word. Lowlights. <laughs> Uh, Five, a, one, two. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, either either way, I got four out of ten in the player rating, so I'm happy with that. And uh, <laughs> even though Brian Kerr looked it, it, at me it, like, it, uh, Raph, it's a pass in any man's language. It's a pass in the leaving cert, I think. It's a 40 percent, so <laughs> that will do. And I will ignore the fact that Brian Kerr was looking at me not with anger, but with that you know disappointment of a parent that's just thought he had a real Edgar Davids, and then turns out it's Ali Dia or something. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but I'm look. I'm happy enough. I'm alive. I'm here, and uh, we'll probably try and play again at some point and get into some sort of rhythm. Uh, but anyway, I think that almost wraps us up for. Sorry, this if, week. if I could just say, was yeah. it John that was here that played for Drumcondra? Oh, Enda, yeah, Enda. Sorry, played for Drumcondra, and I know, say, Stephen started in Leicester Senior League managing, and Brian Kerr, 
Yeah. Myself started in that senior league, but uh, you had a great night. Was it last Tuesday? And on the ball, Dr. Alan Bourne was on. Oh, off the ball, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Alan Bourne, yeah, the yeah. doctor, yeah, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic interview with him. But just say, he has done a massive thing for Leicester Senior League. They have done a link-up um, with um, the Beacon Clinic. Okay. And which must be fantastic for players playing in that league. You know, when League of Ireland players get looked after, obviously, whatever. But for the Leicester Senior League to get involved with the Beacon Clinic must be a great help to a mindset to players knowing that if you do get injured, that they have facilities to go to the best orthopaedic surgeons in the country. Yeah. You know, if, that was a fantastic link up and maybe other leagues should think of, you know, going to other, going to other clinics as well mm. because to have the ease of mind if you do get a bad injury, you know, mortgages and whatever and the wife giving out to you getting injured, that you have this facility that the clubs have linked up with, which I think is fantastic. That is brilliant, yeah. Um, also, just before we go, actually, because we would have seen it uh, just, I think it was over the winter, but uh, the, uh, well, it still is winter given uh, the temperatures outside, but um, the story of the lad, the Spanish lad who, um, now a doctor wouldn't have been able to help him, but yeah. <laughs> where they faked his death, yeah. uh, that was yeah. something that uh, did it? crop up, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Huh? <laughs> so I'm talking about do you want to get a match called off? <laughs> it was a great story. Huh? A brilliant story. Thank God he's alive. Oh yeah, uh, you yeah. know, you know. Yeah, well, no doctor can solve like faking of death or no, anything like no, that. Anyway, no. but I think that almost wraps us up. <laughs> Joe Coffey, uh, uh, we'll probably see you next week in here, Ra- unless you're phoning it in again. But we'll uh, no, we'll Ra- leave that Ra- accusation Ra- hanging Ra- in the air. Raf, Ra- Ra- I promise, I promise. Next week, I I shall make an appearance. Good. Derek Ryan. You know, I'm, Thank I'm, you, Ralph. I'm, I'm busy here watching the Gooners in action against Cardiff. <laughs> ah, no wonder. Oh, right, no okay. wonder you're not there here. You no wonder. Um, and finally, Mick Cook. Thanks a million uh, for coming in as well. My, my pleasure as always, Ralph. Thank you. No bother. Mick, um, good to talk to you. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Take it away, Johan.